let's try this again. How's it now? Can you hear me now? I can I feel hear you. Rising. All right. So it's Friday, y'all, and this is the sound of black and brown. And we have a new series. What should white people do? So this is not for the faint of heart. This is not for people who get offended. If you're really about the equity, inclusivity, diversity, and belonging, these nice big words y'all like to talk about, then this will not be a conversation that will affect you negatively. CJ here. This is The Sound of Black and Brown, a podcast by Black and Brown United in Action. With me today is Manny Camacho and Amy Lapos. And we're going to start it off with what's been on everybody's mind. I know Manny and I, and you too, Amy, we've been taking it in. The Alabama Sweet Tea Party. Talk to me, Manny. How you feel about it? Uh, <laughs> today... Um, I still find it to be one of the most interesting things that happened this year. Uh, <laughs> um, and I was scrolling today, actually, uh, on Twitter. And, <laughs> and, oh my God, I mean, it's like, you know, you have, you have one side of people that are seeing it as, you know, a very serious incident, you know, racism and everything. And then you always have the other side of people who just turn into this comical thing. And you can't help but laugh, really. I mean, the creativity of these people, you have to see the videos and the, and the memes that they make. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, it, you just, it depends how you look at it, right? I mean, do you want to take it so seriously and look at, you know, the racism part of it? And, and yes, acknowledge that. But then also, I mean, just you have to look at like, the comedy in it, you know, of how these people were <laughs> just battering each other in broad daylight. <laughs> you just, I don't know, you have to laugh. You have to laugh sometimes. You have to laugh. I want to shout out our younger generation real quick, the black and brown young people. My boy jumped in that water and he swam, y'all. He swam. Like I said, this is a new series we're starting and the three of us here, we're, we're starting this conversation because this needs to happen, right? I get I get the question a lot, like, what should I do from white people, right? Now, we do talk about white supremacy because you can't dance around the shit. That's the fucking problem. We like to brush it under the rug. And like Manny just said, you know, you have to laugh. But I love what you said. Yo, you listen, Manny came to tell you all something today. I don't know if you all know that. But like he said, you know, you could either laugh or look at it politically. Guess what, y'all? You know what we're going to do. All right, Amy. Talk to us. As a white woman in the room, I could hear her laughing all the way here. Yeah. Um, so seeing the initial attack on the captain was extremely upsetting, obviously. Um, and I can only imagine how the people on the boat felt seeing um, A, their co-worker, um, and B, someone that they had just spent hours on, you know, the passengers, hours on, on this boat with. Um, being attacked by a bunch of white people. Um, and it wasn't even just like, you know, throwing punches. They were full on running at him, diving on him. Um, and so obviously that's like super upsetting. I saw him throw his hat in the air and I was like, I wonder what that means. Um, like, does that mean something? Hold, hold on, like hold on. I'm going to jump in here. I love that you brought that up, right? <laughs> 
That was the signal, Amy. Yeah. That yeah, was that we about to fuck you all up. And <laughs> Mary over there cracking up because my boy sent the bat signal. You feel me? The, listen, and, and the people at Alabama responded like powering. This was Wakanda. This was serious. Like you heard DMX rolling. That's a rough ride. It's cute to music. Like that was it. And you know what I loved? What I love personally, and I love that you brought that part up. I love you, Amy. That that was great. You know, because my boy showed what solidarity looks like. This is what they're afraid of, right? Because here's the thing. Typically, um, when stuff like that happens, especially here in the North, right? Because as Manny and I discussed last night, there's a real shit, you know, there's a shift. In the North, the racism is very, very subliminal. It's normal. It's normal, right? It's normal to gang up on the one black or brown employee. It's normal to ignore a 504B plan for black and brown students, right? It's normal to, you know, just ignore the black and brown community, take their needs and wants and have white people represent them. This is normal in the North. A lot of this has to do, as Ebony pointed out on Monday, or well, earlier in the week, sorry, you know, because I don't know about y'all, but my head is all over the place with all the different things, so I could be wrong. It's Tuesday. Who knows? But early in the week, we had Ebony on for the cunt resistance, and we were talking about abortion rights, you know, reproductive justice, and black feminism. And as a black woman who had an abortion in Tennessee, she shared her story. I invite you all to listen to that. Also taking our friend here, comrade, young warrior in the fight, and make no mistake, he's fierce, y'all. Get ready for him. Manny last night talking about, you know, saying no to white toxicity. These are necessary conversations. I'm going to remind you again, listener, um, you know, discretion advised. Don't take it personally, all right? Don't take it personally. If you're really about wanting to change something, let's talk about this shit. Manny and I cannot unzip our skin to answer Amy's question. We can't unzip and walk outside white. That's not a thing, right? But to go back to Amy's question, yes, it was a signal. And nobody stood there and just watched. People jumped in. I told you, my boy swam. He lost a shoe. You, you, you know what I'm saying? That's real out there. That's re- Oh, shit. <laughs> You see, you see it there, Amy? You see it there? Now, question for you, Amy, as a <laughs> a white comrade in the fight, in that setting, to the best of your knowledge and capacity, what should have happened there? What should have happened when, so for, you're talking about the whole, the whole thing. thing. Should have happened. Talk to us. You're, you're, okay. so here's where I'm putting you. You're, you're right there at the river boat and you see this. You're not oh, on the I'm boat. There? You're not on their boat. No, we, we ain't putting you over there. Okay. You're the white woman who sees these white people doing this. Okay. So, um, I have asked that question because I wanted to know, like, what would my role be and how would people know I'm an ally? Right. So here's what I learned no matter what I do, don't touch a black person because the black person that's correct. Me touching them is my, it's a form of aggression. Um, tackle white people. Um, and make sure that, uh, if I record, um, that I get faces, I get names. 
Um, I get, you know, up close shots of who's wearing what. If I can, get license plates um, and make sure that whoever did the attack is identifiable, um, that I help make that happen. Um, and then also stick around and make sure that I give statements. Um, but I think the two biggest lessons were, um, I mean, one I already knew, record, make sure, you know, to identify the person, but don't touch a black person um, and uh, make sure to tackle white people. Thank you, that's Amy. Sound. <laughs> no, that's on point. That's on point, and I'll tell you why. So sometimes when I, I do get involved in um, organizing events, like live events, you know, calls to actions and so forth. One of the things, depending on what we're doing, particularly if there is a civil disobedience in mind, I will lean on my white people because that's where your privilege comes into play, right? You are absolutely correct. Don't put a hand on a black or brown person. Record. You should be the one intervening when the police show up, right? You should be the one buffering that, as you said, take as many notes as humanly possible, record as much information that you could then later share, right? Because one of the things that happened was the black people got arrested on site. Now I'm gonna turn to you, Manny. How you feel about that, knowing that? Now listen to what she just said and think about that. The black people got arrested on site. And if I'm not mistaken, and Amy, correct me if I'm wrong or Manny, the white boys, you know, they had priors. They had a prior incident there at the riverboat and also others. And also they were not immediately detained or anything like that. Right. Um, you know, and, and this is something that we see repeatedly um, in so many situations that have happened in this country, all over the country, right? Um, whether it was, you know, in um, Charlottesville, if people recall Charlottesville, um, and, you know, you had the white supremacists out there, and Lord have mercy, they were, they were proud of what they were doing, and they were wreaking ma'am, and yet, you know, the African-Americans who were there, you know, uh, trying to defend themselves, but also trying to stand their ground, I mean, if you remember, I mean, the police showed no mercy at all and wasted no time in detaining them. And yet you see so many of, you know, the, the older white men carrying Confederate flags and, and their ballistic vests, and they're still standing, you know? I, I mean, the police are, like, walking right by them, regardless, you know, the fact that, I mean, they were... The, the, the oppressors they were the, the ones who were doing the the wrong things right um and you see that you know i mean you see that in the blm protests that happened during the george floyd uh time you see that it, the point is you see it so many times right that regardless of who the perpetrators are right you kind of always see this theme of the African-Americans just immediately being the ones that are the quickest to be detained, right? And um, it's so sad. It really is. Like, it's sad, but it's also infuriating. To me, it's infuriating. Um, and you're right. Yeah, I, I watched the videos, and I don't see, in fact, there's this woman, 
one of the main women who you can see in the beginning of the video uh she has a red shirt on and it's a white lady and you know she was you know being uh one of the, the first aggressors um and and stood that way throughout the entire time duration and you don't see her getting arrested to literally the the video of her getting arrested it is literally nighttime mind you this is sunny out it's daytime when this is all happening you know the fight the brawl and everything the video of her actually being in handcuffs and being put in the police car it is pitch black outside it is nighttime not like you know the sun's starting to set no sun's gone <laughs> and then you see her that's you know, fucked up that's fucked can i oh don't see you you trying to get me started <laughs> no see manny you like to start shit <laughs> <laughs> he laughing no but what he raised is a serious point let me let me tell you something i was at the new haven green when miss barbara fair queen mother barbara fair got assaulted and arrested by nhpd and i could personally tell you that she did nothing wrong one minute we were standing side by side actually barbara fair was one of very few who when we found out about this thing so let me let me back step so th this is what happened when trump went into you know this whole thing with trump and the proud boys and they decided to come down to the green and so a group of people decided myself included organizers gathered to discuss well what will be our counter action you can't just let this this group show up here down at the green and think it's cute and i have to tell you all i asked three times like jesus asked judas what is the plan for black and brown people when the police show up and the reason why i asked that because all the white people were talking about oh we're gonna provoke the scene we're gonna blow bubbles and throw glitter and all this other fuck shit right but like he said you know we're not that hard to criminalize i, I mean i i could tell you that i'm not a hard person to criminalize i looked the part most people would never expect me to have more than a high school education um, I, I probably am unemployed by general assumption and I probably just, you know, stay at home and just do nothing and live off the system. It, you know, I looked the part, right. And I, I, I know that sounds how it sounds, but it is what it is. I have accepted that reality. I'm not going to deny it. Right. And it's interesting because I'll tell you something that I know as a fact, you know, the temperature in the room change when you look a certain way. And I, I could tell you that as a fact. The temperature changes when you drive down to 95 with fuck Trump on your car. And I did that too. And I've also walked into the room with a different hairstyle and hair color. And I could tell and a different attire. Just like how Manny gets judged, right? Because people probably look at Manny and probably, you know, assume now, these people don't talk to me because I'll punch you in the face. In fact, no, you know what? I won't do that. I'll just take, I'll just say cheers and I'll be it. But the point is, is that we get judged upon first sight. When we get pulled over, when the police approach us, there's no, you know, hey, tell me about your background. Like, how are you doing? Like, how'd you end up in this condition? You know, no, it's more like license and registration, please. What's in the back seat? Get out the car. No reading of rights, no, you know, no due process. 
And I'm telling you, I stood there at the green and it pissed me the fuck off because I was also part of some of, because this is another thing white people do. When they get involved in our shit, right? They decide, you know, they creep up to the point of, I could no longer support, I have to control. Because in a tale as old as slavery, if they can't conquer it, they have to control it. They have to control it. And if they cannot conquer and control it, they'll fuck it up. I'm telling you that. It's facts, right? So what happens is, is that I attend these meetings and then I find out that within this group of so-called allies, they're also having secret meetings amongst each other as white allies, right? And I'm like, what the fuck? How are you planning a whole something, something, but you having a separate, all right, see, that's that fuck shit. And that's that shit that happens in the movement, just like it happens in the legislative office, just like it happens at the Board of Ed, just like it happens at Dunkin' Donuts, the gas station, every fucking where else. It is what it is. My friend Barbara Fair did not have to get arrested. I asked that fucking question three times, like Jesus asked Judas, what the fuck is the plan for black and brown people when the police show up, when these alphabet boys show up, 5-0, feel me? Because what's going to happen is they're going to see us. Now, let me tell you what happens. Barbara Fair finds out about this thing. And of course, like all of the black and brown people who were, you know, like, you know, Remedy, myself, you know, it was quite a few of us out there, you know, and we were peaceful. We were all peaceful. It was the white people. One white person threw a smoke bomb, yo. She, they, 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 I don't know what their pronouns are, so I want to be careful. They threw a fucking smoke bomb. And look at how I have to announce that I don't want to use the wrong pronouns. That's some fuck shit too. But that's a whole other episode, Manny, write that down. But the point is, right, this is what, this is why we need to have these conversations and we need to speak freely. If you don't know, you don't know. You're not going no different until you ask the question or your challenge. Are we going to always agree? Probably not. But how do you change things if we're all agreeing? It'll, everything will stay the same. What I know is at one point down at the green, Barbara's to my right. And at the next time that I would see her, she's be, being body slammed by fucking five NHPD black and brown officers. Come on. Come on. We could do better. We could do better. So I'm going to look at you, Amy, now and ask you a dangerous question. How do you feel what I just said? How do you feel about what I just said in terms of white toxicity in the movement? Talk to us about your experience with that. And I know that you have clapped back on that because let me tell you all something about Amy. Here's why we love and cherish Amy, right? This chick has nothing to gain. Not that she ever asked or whatever. I want to make that clear. Don't come for her, right? She did it on her own. She's not about the notoriety. You know, Elijah Muhammad told us the camera is the white man narcotic. Amy's not about that. I have seen it firsthand with Amy challenging this fuck shit. Like, she she will call it out, you know, so. Yeah, so um, I think there's a bunch of layers to what, what you're talking about. Um, number one, who's organizing the event, right? So are, is it a black-led event? Um, and what is the role of white people in the event? Um, so you mentioned, like, you asked what the plan was if the police show up for black and brown people. Um, and my response to that would be, 
that we are to be the, the first line. So we stand between the police and the black and brown people. We are the ones who speak to the police about what's going on or whatever. But we also have to be really careful about our own actions because if we're drawing attention, we know that if, if I throw a smoke bomb, that most likely it is not going to be me who is grabbed by the cops. It's going to be a black or brown person. Um, and so being mindful of my own behavior to not, um, not make a situation worse. Like we're not there to lead an event like that. You know, we're there to support. So watch the black and brown people around you and follow suit. Um, it's the elevation of a black voice of a black message. Um, it's not, it's not about us. I guess that's the biggest, um, piece of advice I can give on that. And that's, that's what I try to stand by is that it's not about me. Um, and that my job really needs to be, if the police are involved, um, protection to put myself between police and black and brown people and to be incredibly vocal. Um, and then again, comes in the recording and, and all that other stuff as well. Um, yeah. I think that that's right on point. Manny, what are you thinking? No, yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree, you know, um, I think, you know, I, I've seen, I've been personally to demonstrations and, you know, uh, different events where, you know, the black and brown community is protesting some issue and, you know, we have our, um, our allies there, right? And, um, you know, when things get bad, because make no mistake, when you start to speak up against things that, uh, you know, we believe should be <laughs> changed, uh, things get bad, right? People don't like that. So it's not a matter of if things get bad, it's, a ma it, it's just when things get bad. So when things get bad at those demonstrations and those events, yeah, our allies, right, who are there in the movement. I mean, under, I, I think there needs to be an understanding here, right? It's one, realize that in almost every significant demonstration, the black and brown community has a history, a dark, dark history of, um, you know, getting beaten senseless, pretty much. I mean, that, that's just, I, I'm try, I was trying to like pretty it up, but you can't, you can't. You, they're beaten sense, senseless, right? And when we have our allies there at these demonstrations, in order for you to understand the history of these demonstrations, the power, the significance of these demonstrations, the sacrifice that we are making by being there physically, fully aware that at any moment, it's sad to say this, but it could get so severe as our lives could get taken 
at those demonstrations, right? So for you, for our allies to really understand that, you yourself pretty much have to put yourself in in that danger. Insert yourself because you're not going to be inserted, you know, automatically. You're not. The police will they will walk right around you just to get to the, you know, the person that's next to you that's darker than you, right? That's, I mean, literally. I mean, we've seen it. We've seen the videos, right? They, the police will go right around everyone else who's a, a lighter skin tone and will go right to that person who is darker. So you need to insert yourself right in the middle. I mean, literally, when I mean like right in the middle, Feel that space, that that inch, that that three centimeters between that officer or that aggressor, because you know not always going to be an officer. Whoever the aggressor is, that aggressor and the other person in the movement, right? And then, only then, right, will you really realize the suffering the oppression, the blatant violence and aggression that we as black and brown people face simply because we are trying to stand for change. That, that's it. When you look at it, that's all it is. We are beaten senseless. We are tear gassed. We are shot. We, I mean, we, back, you know, couple decades ago, six, seven decades ago, you're lynched, right? Your life is taken. All because you dared, you had the audacity to stand for change. That's, that's the thing, right? And let me tell you something. The lynching is still happening. How? When they write us up for bullshit, let us go for nonsense. We're always the budget cut. We're always the easiest to cut off. Um, it's easy to criminalize and stigmatize us. It's not that hard. Whether we're accomplished or not, it doesn't matter. Because then if we're accomplished, there must be some reason that they're so into social justice. I mean, they grew up in a good neighborhood. Maybe somebody in their family is a crack addict. It's, it's all kinds of shit. There's layers to this shit, man. Right? And in the movement itself, we have to have discipline. L look, if there was no discipline, we would not be having this conversation right now as it stands. Okay? You cannot have white people throwing smoke bombs into events, especially where there is, it didn't matter if there was just one black or brown or two person. It didn't matter. Right? The truth is, if one of us had done that, and one of you could correct me if I'm wrong with somebody, right? If one of us threw that, we would have been arrested right on the spot and charged with, you know, some type of act of terrorism. Something, right? I watched my friend get body slammed for no reason. No reason. They had no reason to come at her like that. Her nephew, oh my God, they, they threw him around like a, a little bag, right? And then they didn't, they didn't body slam her to the same extent, but they came charging down like they were about to. I mean, to be honest with you, they might have slammed her a little bit. To me, it looked like that, right? It looked like a lot more than that. 
her hand was all fucked up and shit. And then they threw in the back of her paddy wagon. And this was the one of few who actually showed up to defuse and mediate the situation. Barbara wasn't there. None of us. I didn't even have, like, I made sure that all I had on me was, like, my keys. Like, I didn't have a weapon. We weren't throwing those things. None of us were. We had undocumented people there. They didn't have any weapons. They didn't have anything that, you know what I'm saying? And and this happens. And yet the police fucks up two black people. And I think they eventually arrested the person who threw the smoke bomb. And somebody else threw something too. Because they were throwing like glitter and all this other horse shit. And they thought that was cute. And you see, to me, when you start to do stuff like that, in my opinion, when I see you infiltrate a black and brown space and you start to do shit like that, like you think it's cute and funny to throw smoke bombs or to sell hard drugs or to show up and make it about yourself, you know, then you took that situation, right? And you made it about yourself, right? This is no longer about black and brown people's fight for social justice. This just became about you and your white saviorism and all that other horse shit. And this is dangerous and it's happening and it's happening right here. Now, make no mistake. There is, you know, clap back as, you know, a white comrade when you start to stand up against this shit, just like the unspoken truth of the attacks that happened to black and brown activists. Like this is a real thing. Corinne Prescott, this spit on her. Um, our comrade Rhonda C from Hamden Action Now. There's a whole page called Hamden Crime Watchers that's dedicated to gaslighting Rhonda Rhonda C. Believe that. You could go up there and see it yourself, right? These people are openly saying really nasty, horrendous shit. And it's okay. I know there's people gaslighting the fuck out of me, just like they're gatekeeping me. Same with Manny. It happens, right? And this is the thing. is like, do we let it continue happening or do we decide that it ends today? Because here's what happens, right? Even when we let the white people into our spaces and we say, okay, I'll work with you. You seem nice. You could help me with this. You could help me with that. Again, if they can't conquer and control it, they act all fucked up. Starting with you, Manny, and then over to you, Amy. What's your thoughts? You're absolutely right. Um, Jeez. Oh, I, I was like, it seems like you talk about me, but <laughs> you be saying something. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> you know, I really just, I have to echo. I, I really have to echo some things you said. Um, because I, I don't think people really get it. Like, I, I really don't. I really don't. <clears throat> the gatekeeping, right? <laughs> the gatekeeping that happens, um, to the black and brown, uh, the black and brown activists or, or just community members, anyone, you know, who tries to do good <laughs> that's it just for the very bare minimum just tries to do good right and tries to work with others to bring about change my gosh 
the gatekeeping that happens is absolutely outrageous. Um, and and you know, here I'm gonna here I go again. I'm gonna I'm gonna get myself in trouble, but <laughs> I got I gotta say the truth. Um, it happens within our own community. <laughs> it happens with our own black and brown people. <laughs> I, I'm not going to name names. I'm not. <laughs> but <laughs> just a few days ago, I was in a meeting and, <laughs> and on Zoom. Gosh, I hate Zoom. But <laughs> for this purpose, I'm glad it was Zoom because if it was in person, I might have lost my mind even more. Uh, <laughs> I'm in this meeting. And this meeting, it, you know, was about how, you know, youth-related crime in the city and, you know, what can we do to combat it, et cetera, et cetera, right? So here I am. I, and, and mind you, I was invited to be in this meeting. I didn't assert myself. It wasn't like I was trying to. No, I was invited, okay? I'm invited to this meeting and, uh, you know, People are talking, they're giving their ideas, they're saying this and this and this. And then someone, someone decides they want to give their ideas on how to combat the violence and what they offer and all that stuff. And this is something I've noticed over the years. Within, the own, within our own black and brown community, one of the main ways that we try to appease the white man <laughs> right <laughs> to let them know that we are enough that we are credible enough that you should trust us and believe in us right that's what i'm saying <laughs> the number one thing that i've seen to appease to white people who are in higher positions of authority or just higher positions in general is we try to use data and numbers and say things like well research supports this and research that and because you feel i don't know why <laughs> but to them i feel like they think the only way they can be i don't know like be seen as credible or be seen as enough or as truthful or whatever might be going in their heads that the only way they can, you know, kind of lift themselves up to be closer to the level, you know, of that white person <laughs> is to be like, well, here's some numbers to, you know, uh, reinforce what I'm doing or what I'm saying. Or here's some, because we all know that numbers can't lie, right? We all know that. Okay. But my gosh, it's like I have hear the, the ideas. I'm like, okay, those are great. But that should stand by itself, you know? Like, they're great enough ideas to where if you say them and you give them out, leave it at that. That should be enough. Why do you feel like you have to keep going and provide numbers and statistics and research and this and this and this and this in order to prove yourself as credible to this other person? Right? Exactly. Validation. And so, but, but, so let me bring it back. Let me bring it back. I digress. In this meeting, this person ends up doing that. Ends up putting on some research. You know, a couple statistics here and there. 
And then they turn it over to me. And they say, well, you know, Manny, what can you do, right? What are some of your ideas? What are some things you've been doing? And the way that it was phrased to me, now listen to this next sentence that they say to me. <laughs> it, this, and, and again, they happen to be white. They say, well, unlike so-and-so, who they can provide evidence-based models and statistics and data, can your ideas do the same? Can you provide the same data and statistics to show that they actually work? And in that moment, <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I, I, I felt like, like everything I had done over the six, seven years that I've been doing this, Right, I felt like all of that was just made so minute because unless there was numbers and data and stats and right, they expect a research paper, you know, I've unless that was provided, then pretty much nothing I have done or had done, you know, was, was credible or valid, right, or worked, but. But, you know, anyone who knows me knows that oh, I got data and stats, you know, for the rest of my life. So <laughs> I was prepared for that. But there's my point, right? My point is, is that the, in our black and brown community, that in order to appease the white person, in order to be validated, in order to be seen as credible, we will waste almost no time to turn over on the next black and brown person, <laughs> right? We will turn over on them in order to basically put ourselves on a higher pedestal, closer to that person in a higher position, right? And you see that all the time, and it's just, it's sad. It's infuriating. It's like, how are we supposed to build each other as a community, as a people, if, I mean, I, like, can I even trust you, you know? <laughs> and it's, again, it's sad. It's sad that you have to ask that question. Can I even trust you? Here we are talking about can we trust white people, right? And, and, and look at all the oppression from white people and all that. But, geez, look at my own neighbor who looks just like me. You know, can I even <laughs> trust them? Sometimes you can't. So it's a lot, you know, CJ, and like you said, you know, it's you have it coming from white people who if they can't conquer it, they control it. And, and they have so many different methods of controlling it. Right. They have to control it themselves. They control it through. Here I go. Here I go again. They control it by getting someone who looks like me and you. And they get them on their side to do their agenda. But because that person looks like me and you, <laughs> you know, suddenly it's not white toxicity. Suddenly it's not that white person control, right? It's just, oh, yeah, no, it's another black and brown, you know, a member of our community. Wow, so proud of him, right? He's in that position. No, he's not in that position doing what he wants to do. He's in that position doing what they want him to do. 
I'll, I'll stop talking before I get myself in more trouble. No, I mean, like, what you're saying, she hit it on the nail. It's tokenism and it's facts, right? It does happen. I've had that happen to me. I've had my own smile in my face. Ah, and they help, they help bring me down. Mm-hmm. They help try to destroy my name. They help try to ruin my credibility. Listen, the average black and brown person or brown person, I said, Ann, or brown, or you could be Ann, I guess, um, you know, they would have a you know, variety of jobs over their lifetime. That's a fact, right? And it's because, it's not because they're not educated. Let me just clear this up. It's not because they're not trying. It's not because they don't want to work. It's not because they don't know how to do the job. It's because if we're not liked, we become a problem, right? If we're not done with the agenda, we become a problem. And as Amy's saying, it's the access. Now, Amy, I'm going to hand this now to you now and look to you. What do you think about all this? What should white people Um. <clears throat> yeah, so I, I think that there is, like, I, when you were talking <coughs> earlier, sorry. <coughs> I have something in my throat. Um. I noticed like with Rhonda, the way they went after her credibility um, and the way that, that she was attacked, like it has nothing to do with race. It's about her behavior. It's she's dangerous. It's always, and it's always the same exact tropes that we fall to, right? Um, so Rhonda is dangerous. Rhonda needs to be taken off the board. Um, I think that one of the biggest disconnects for white people is that we, our view of police is totally different than that of the black community because we have been pampered and catered to. And, um, you know, I remember when I was little, an officer coming to school to talk about how we can call them for anything. Um, and there was like this big, uh, uh, kind of movement, if you will, to increase um, the amount of police calls and what police were doing uh, and to increase funding. So the idea was, you know, call us whenever you need us, whatever you need. So it's almost like a concierge service for white people. And it took me a very long time to understand that that is not the same for everyone. Um, and so I feel like that's the biggest disconnect right now is social justice groups, um, white-led groups, anti-racism, not including a piece that calls in your own freaking department. You need to worry about the department in your town. How is your town racial profiling? How is your town treating black and brown people? And we need to deal with that. And I feel like that's so overlooked, yet one of the driving forces in maintaining segregation, in maintaining isolation, in maintaining um, overpopulated prisons and overpolicing is literally police reform. And I think that we are just not touching on that. We are not centering that enough. And we are not seeing um, the whole idea of bad apples it's not bad apples. Policing policy is so bad. It, it's 
it has to be changed and that it has to be something that the Democrats pick up and, and, and stop trying to find like the bad apples, you know, does that make sense? Am I making sense? I think you're making absolute sense. I think everything you said was right on point. Um, very, you know, that's the thing. It's not, it's not something that you just do once and it's over. And that's what, you know, that's what needs to be understood. This is not a one and done issue, right? The white people have to get just, if not more uncomfortable than we are about racism. And that's the thing in the North, as I started saying, it's so normalized versus the South. Like I said, Ebony, Ebony told her story of what it was like being in Tennessee, trying to have an abortion, right? And it was a nightmare. It was an absolute, absolute nightmare. Now, we are not addressing the policing issues because right here in New Haven, many of the high schools look like prisons. We prep our youth for prison. Oh, Manny, I just said something dangerous. We prep our youth, our black and brown youth for prison. Okay. Now, thinking about the education system, thinking about, you know, systemic racism, thinking about all of it, thinking about, you know, jobs, you know, and, and here's another thing we don't talk about too. There's a lot of white toxicity in medicine. Okay. There's a lot, just as much as there is in lawmaking, right? Because we have a lot of doctors and stuff and, and medical professionals who, you know, really and truly just come out and say that you're, you are who you are, right? I mean, you got to understand when you look at the Republican campaigns, look at that crowd, man. These aren't people working at Dunkin' Donuts or Popeye's or Walmart. These are professionals. These are rich motherfuckers. They want to maintain their wealth in the North, which originally was where the slaves would run to for freedom became the subset for slavery. Why? Because the white people started to realize, oh, fuck, they're, they're, they're coming in masses. Now we have to share wealth. This is the thing. It's all about sharing space and providing access, right? Jump in, Manny. Yeah. Whoa. You, uh, <laughs> you, you came out swinging, <laughs> CJ, with that one. Um, you're so right, though. You're right. It's um, a lot of people, I think a lot of people fail to realize that, it, you know, we're not, when we talk about white toxicity, when we talk about these issues, you know, we're not, it's, it's not specific to politics. It's not specific to law. It's not specific, you know, to, to the Justice Department or the justice system. No, it goes to so many different fields. Right, and I'm glad you you mentioned medicine. Uh, I'm very glad you mentioned that because it's actually it's actually one of the main driving factors as to why um, you know as a, a career you know I'm going into medicine. Um, you know, but not just any medicine, right? Not becoming like a general practitioner. Um, I'm, I'm going to become uh, a clinical psychologist, right? Uh, yeah, Dr. Manny, yeah. <laughs> um, 
uh, you know, become a clinical psychologist um, because I can't tell you how many times, you know, I've been in the class over the years, uh, especially in high school. Um, and, you know, again, I make it my business to, to become friends with, with my peers and to, you know, not like pry into their lives, you know, nothing like that. But as a friend, you know, check up on them, check up on their mental health and how they're doing, education, all the different, you know, facets of life. And obviously, I mean, very disheartening to see how many of my peers are struggling with mental health issues. But hello, CJ, you know, as you always say, COVID, you're right, <laughs> done so, so, so much to us, right? Um, so, yes, their mental health, they're dealing with a lot of mental health challenges and, and you know, and difficulties. So, but, you know, when I talk to them, well, you know, are you seeing a therapist? Are you, you know, seeing somebody, you know, to help you out? The stories that I hear from their experiences with therapists and with psychologists, right, is so disheartening because I, you know, and they, and, and, you know, again, I'm, not, I'm probably not supposed to ask them this, but I asked them, well, you know, what what was a therapist? Were they Hispanic? Were they African-American? Were they white? And, I mean, we know that, you know, the mental health field is predominantly white. But so is pretty much just medicine in general. Um, so, you know, a lot of their therapists, a lot of their psychologists were white. And, you know, they felt as though, one, they couldn't really connect to the therapist. And as someone who goes to therapy myself, which I make no secret of, that's one of the most important things is to be able to connect with your therapist. If you don't connect with your therapist, you don't feel comfortable. I mean, you're pretty much going to gain no benefit from, you know, those interactions at all. Because you're never going to really let your guard down. You're never going to be vulnerable. So they, you know, so I've heard things like, you know, they don't feel comfortable. They, they can't establish that connection. Um, I've also heard that, you know, there's a, there's kind of a sense of guilt tripping, you know, on the patient. And that, that like when I hear that and, you know, they go and, and again, why I think I'm going into the right field of psychology is, I've had so many people just open up to me because they start venting and you can, I've witnessed firsthand the emotions, the sadness, the anger that they feel from, you know, being told that, okay, this is a person you're supposed to confide in. This is a person who's supposed to help you, you know, understand why you're going through what you're going through internally and the same person is guilt tripping you for feeling the way you do or is not acknowledging your feelings, right? So, I mean, problem after problem after problem, but here it is, you know, this person who doesn't look like them, they can't connect with, who is, you know, I mean, let's be honest, them, the, you know, they themselves as a medical provider, they can't 
relate to half of the things that this black or brown patient has gone through simply for being black and brown. That medical provider won't know what it's like to deal with racism. That medical provider won't know what it's like, you know, to grow up in a, in a home probably filled with gang activity and drugs and, and domestic violence and a lot of the things that affect the minority demographic in, their, in our inner cities, right? And so, yeah, you're, you're so right that this, you know, that this white toxicity, that these, you know, th these problems absolutely enter the field of medicine. And so, you know, me being who I am, right? I'm like, yeah, no, I, I, I'm going to enter the field of, you know, psychology and, and become, you know, that clinical psychologist because, yeah, no, I'm going to, I want to stand for everything the opposite of that, right? Like, I would be able to sit there and, and relate to like, listen, you went through gang violence, I went through gang violence. You went through, a, you know, a home that was in chaos. I went to, you know, same thing. And that's the most important thing, right, in that field is just the ability to connect, the ability to be vulnerable. But here are our children of today, right, our teenagers, our youth, and they don't have the opportunity. They try to seek it out. They're met with gaslighting. They're met with guilt tripping. They're met with just this inability to connect. And so what does that leave them? It leaves them to, one, be distrustful of the mental health system, and any medical providers going forward, right? And it leads them to deal with the trauma and the emotions and the mental health challenges that they now have to try and figure out, you know, internally at 14, 15, 16 years old, right? So post-traumatic slave disorder. Ooh, well, I'm definitely going to have to read that. Thank you, Amy. So, um... So yeah, but you know, your Yale doctor wrote it. Oh, oh yeah, I'm gonna read that right after this then. Um, so yeah, but you see, Jay, you're so right. You're so right that it's not just law. This isn't just politics. This isn't just in the justice system. It's definitely in so many other fields, and medicine is definitely one of the main ones. Well, you know, we're gonna have to do a whole other episode on that because I've said it time and time again. I, right, again, I'll tell you all, you want to know my age, go look at that last supper. I'm in the back left. I would not know how I would have survived COVID as a young adult. I empathize with our young black and brown adults, especially, right? Many of whom, um, by no choice of their own, grew up in circumstances beyond their own control. We're talking about everything from inherited poverty, houselessness, dealing with the chaos of the house, you know, whoever's leading the house, all of it, right? And they have to take that with them, right? And on top of it, they have to be in quarantine. So we all just did suedo solitary confinement. And I feel like even though the studies have started, so they say, I don't know that we are doing enough in terms of paying attention to the fact that if this is how we feel as adults, I don't know about the rest of you all, but coming out of quarantine was a process for me. It really was. I had to get used to not wearing a mask. I had to get used to not doing certain things. I had to trust that it was safe to go back outside, 
right? Exactly, Amy. I still am too. In fact, sometimes, you know, I think I'm going to start back wearing my mask to the gym only because people stink. And I realized these last couple of days when I tried it without the mask, I was like, shit, this is not where it's at. Might have to pull out the fuck Trump mask. But the other thing too, that Manny hit on in terms of therapy, I myself, I see a therapist. There's nothing wrong with being mentally well, right? We have to unpack it. Okay. We inherited our ancestors' pain, struggles, and everything else, joy, gifts, talent, all of it. But we were made to believe that in order to survive, right? Because remember, in order to get from the south to the north, you had to shut the fuck up and get on that underground railroad and do what you had to do. And unfortunately, that trait of resilience led to us, you know, being close-minded when it comes to our mental wellness. You cannot pray it away. Sometimes you need to disclose something to somebody who's not going to hand you a book. And that's another episode we're going to do too about this Bible. Because they tell you, oh, well, you know, go say all these prayers to forgive your sins. But isn't the Bible based on sins? What did I just say? But my point is, is that we don't have sufficient access and opportunity right here in Connecticut, for you to become a social worker, you would have to decide not to work. You'd have to work and go to school just to pass to get your certifications because that's how it's set up. Like there's so many barriers, right? And it comes down to the testing process, the application process. It's a lot of barriers, man. We do not have sufficient black or brown veterans, uh, veterans, uh, veterinarians, that whole long word. Sorry, not veterans. Well, we have veterans, but they don't get represented. That's a whole other topic by itself. But we do not have enough black and brown vets as in veterinary, that word, right? We need them. We need them. But we need to recognize that the whole process, that access and opportunity is a big barrier. He's so right. One of the things that I try to tell people, especially within my own community, when you go to figure out who, you know, first of all, get comfortable with therapy. Don't look at it like a stain. Look at it like a release. And then when looking for a therapist, find somebody who you could identify with. I took my time and I I did my research and I actually sat down and I pared it down to agencies that had black and brown uh, therapists. And then I went even further to let them know, like, this is my life. I need a therapist who could understand who I am. I'm very social justice driven. You know, I have a lot of strong views on things. I need somebody and I'm also an immigrant and I'm also a black single mother. So I need someone who could deal with that. And as he said, unfortunately, you know, the white clinicians cannot always relate. Some of them may have grew up in, in poverty or working class or whatever and could relate to an extent, but you can't relate what it's like to be in my skin. You can't, you don't know the difference with me, you know, in my skin standing next to you. I remember once I was at Stop and Shop years ago with a friend of mine who's darker skin. And at the time I paid with a WIC check. Mind you, the cashier, white cashier, didn't ask me for my ID. I'm not light skin at all. I'm still caramel. But with my friend who played with her debit card, she wanted to see her ID. What's wrong with that picture? Now, that being said, Amy, how are you feeling about what we're talking about here? 
with the mental health? What should white people do? Listen, you know, take it into context with Manny just said and my push for, you know, let's open up the doors to the mental wellness. I think the state of Connecticut could pine. And that's another thing with the state of Connecticut. I feel like we, we don't hold them accountable enough. Why can't the state lead that? Like even the measures that are used to evaluate mental wellness are skewed to a different demographic. They they are born out of the, you know, a di- whole different demographic relative to our demographic. Why aren't we creating our own studies based upon our socioeconomic factors, right? And then in terms of, okay, you don't want to do that. Maybe we need to think on that a little bit. Who knows? But the point is, is that what about making it easier for us to recruit, hire, and train black and brown social workers, therapists, doctors, all of that, right? All of that's there, Amy, as the one in the room to talk about it. Right, equity. What should what should happen? Right, we're talking about equity for um, black and brown people um, in the field of medicine. And um, yeah, I mean, that's absolutely a giant barrier, um, starting with, you know, just elementary schools um, and then all the way up um, access. Um, but there are options. And so like more, so representative Lauren Underwood, um, she's Illinois 14. Um, she has the mom, momnibus package, uh, that addresses all of this. Um, she is one of the most incredible legislators. Um, and she's a former nurse. So she absolutely gets it. Um, What I wish Connecticut would do is look at her package and pull from that um, things that we can do here in Connecticut to provide that equity. How do we get our um, medical field to reflect the community that it's taking care of, right? Um, And how do we also make anti-racism a part of everyday life in the medical field, in hospitals, in doctor's offices. Um, And I think a lot of, you know, these are very complex things that have to happen. Um, And obviously we need that in every um, sector of government um, as well. But I think that looking to her bill and incorporating some of those things here in Connecticut, to provide equity is absolutely necessary. And I, I could not agree with Manny more that the number one inherited trauma, okay? So when you have generations of racial trauma um, and then you're dealing with that on top of the trauma of um, having, being isolated in, I mean, basically that's what Connecticut does. We isolate black people into specific spaces, mostly our cities, and don't allow them access to things outside of those cities. So um, how do we help break that uh, and provide that equity into um, our healthcare? So yeah. I'd like you to say some more about that bill for the folks who don't know. Just give us a general idea so they, they could get an idea of where you're headed. Sure. So her bill, her package has, I believe, 14 bills in it. 
um, and several of them have passed, but she's had a hard time. And I know one of them dealt specifically with veterans, but there are other pieces of the bill that deal specifically with maternity care for black women, um, but not just on the type of care they receive, but uh, training doctors and nurses to um, better care for everyone, right? Uh, so it, it incorporates grants and trainings and um, expectations. So if you have policy in the hospital that X, Y, and Z are not tolerant, uh, tolerated, then that takes things a step further, you know, and it helps provide another layer of protections. We, it has to be something that's discussed. So that's basically what this bill says. This bill says racism and the fact that black people um, do not receive equal medical care in the United States has to be addressed. And here are 14 bills to address it. One of them uh, focuses on veterans. I mentioned maternity, mental health was another big piece. Um, and uh, what else? Uh, pediatrics. Um, but I really think it's called the momnibus. So look up um, Lauren Underwood's Momnibus um, package. And yeah, I really wish, because we do have legislators that do look to other states and federal policy um, that, that's progressive and bring it to Connecticut. So I really think that we can perhaps be one of the first states that starts to incorporate um, this kind of equity in, in our healthcare. And I think that once we figure out the mechanisms to make it happen in healthcare, we can then use it in education, we can use it in government, we can use it in other aspects, you know what I mean? Um, so yeah, I say we look to Lauren Underwood for some answers. I appreciate you sharing that because I do think that a big part of this here in what you're saying is too, and it always comes down to this, representation matters right? We have to get it where it's okay to have more black and brown nonprofit leaders in the room, more black and brown legislators in the room, more black and brown medical providers in the room. Now, I believe without being in any of those titles and more, black, more and more black and brown representation education too, like we're not just cleaners at Yale, we're not just you know, uh, PCAs or whatever the title they made it now. The point is, is that we're not just there to be plantation workers being the support or, you know, the inside house person. That's the new plantation, you know, it's the job role for this is facts, wherever you are in terms of your job role. And now I'm not a title driven person, but title comes into play because then it's your job description, right? Now, without diving into that piece too much, because that's a whole separate conversation right there that has to get it's full attention because that's a new plantation, right? The prisons are part of the plantation. That's another plantation right there. I do think, Amy, that there's ways that white people, without being in those roles, you know, the common white folk, whatever you want to call it, the regular person on the street, I do feel that there's ways that they could get involved. Do you agree with that? And if so, what are ways that they could get involved to press for this change? Yeah. Um, so I... I think action is 100% necessary. So I think we do a lot of talking. White people do a lot of talking. Like we talk about what needs to be done. Um, 
and that keeps us comfortable. Um, so as I'm going to copy something you said earlier, we have to have uncomfortable conversations and then we need to follow that with action. But it really needs to start with ourselves, and and this is what I I believe in my core. That anti-racism begins with yourself, then begins with your circle, then you move to <coughs> to your community, and then you move to your state. Um, and so, uh, in that, that means that we have these you know anti-racist groups and stuff like that we don't focus on just national issues right we don't just focus on george floyd we focus on uh george whoever who actually lives in our town and has been pulled over by police eight times um in one year and um this is a town that has racial profiling um numbers that are you know way too high and you start locally um and you work within your town um and i just don't see enough of that i really and I actually i don't see any of that that's i'm gonna be honest i really don't see any of that i don't see white people working to make sure that the parks and rec department um actually has you know black leadership as well as white leadership <coughs> um planning and zoning always all white like why are all of these all white and and remain all white um and why are we not doing anything to help change that um and i'm so sick of hearing pick the best candidate because whiteness has always been a factor in that um so making uh making huge efforts to make sure that our boards um that our community looks like our community our, our sorry the leadership in our community reflects our community if we are 20 percent african-american then we should have a lot of african-american people that are leading um departments and running boards and um have a voice in all of these things and it it should not be um it should not be a focus of ours outside of our town. Like if we, if you are not doing anti-racism work in your town, um, then you're really not doing anything. You, you really shouldn't consider yourself an ally. Um, I love that you I, said I, that. I, I love that you said that because I think one of the things that I think that happens, though Manny's dropping a lot of great ideas there in the chat as far as how to expand our medical services and bring equity there, right? These are facts what he's putting in there. But also, Amy, something you're touching on, the root, root cause here is addressing that whiteness, right? And that includes giving up that power and privilege, which means that you need to have us in these positions. And as Manny said before, you cannot negate the power of lived experience. I'm a firm believer in that, right? You could do all these different studies and things, and that's the thing, man. We're not test subjects. Cut it the fuck out with the studies. Stop it. Stop. Cut it out. Right? Let's get some action going. One thing we need to learn from the Alabama Tea Party. Right? <laughs> Amy's funny. Can you study me? I'm sure people are studying me like, what the fuck is wrong with her? But um, the Alabama Tea Party is an example of where we are as, as a community. Whether we want to say it whether we want to own it, whether we want to express it, 
right? I don't care if you're Uncle Tom, a Sambo, or if you're not, if you're a real one and you're grassroots and you're raw to the roots, it doesn't matter. We're all there, right? Some of us may have put ourselves, as Manny said earlier, you know, some of our worst enemies look like us, right? That's facts. That's straight facts, right? I, I have experienced that more than once. Again, I get judged when I come into the room. And to be honest, most times the white people try to figure out what the fuck, what is she? But the black people and the brown people would decide that I'm a heathen and I'm dumb and everything else. They made up their minds, right? Because I don't fit the profile, right? Um, and this is something that happens to us, right? <laughs> but the point, the point is, I can't pronounce that word monolithically, but um, she's asking if I'm monolithic um, lithotic or whatever it is. Uh, but the point is, um, you know, Manny and I cannot unzip and, you know, look at Manny wanted to do a brain study on me. You all are hilarious. So you're not going to find much. I'm telling you, you'll find static. I think my brain, when I'm not, you know, I'm just sitting here, you just see static. But my point is Manny and I cannot unzip. We cannot just unzip our skin and become white. We have varying levels of lived experience with racism in the north is very normalized and i'm a firm believer there's way more that the white people in the north could do but that requires them giving up their power privilege and place we have 19 billionaires i didn't say millionaires i said billionaires um you know 19 no it's 19 millionaires one billionaire one of them is a billionaire i got that wrong don't come for me things happen and it's friday but the point is is that we have those people right here in Connecticut and not one of them shelled up scent for COVID recovery. There are many, many, many black and brown people who are houseless, jobless, you know, job insecure, housing insecure, facing eviction, can't pay their bills. All of this is happening, food insecure, right? And none of these people are coughing up a scent. When COVID happened, Yale preferred to spend money on doing daily tests on everybody who was on there, on the building, on the premises, right? As opposed to opening up the doors so that people who were affected by COVID could be seen there because what was happening was the hospitals didn't have enough room. They also refused to open up their doors for the houseless, right? Right here in New Haven, the white people could get up and stand up against these illegal evictions and the slumlording. We have people posing as white allies who are <laughs> running illegal rooming houses. We have people who are posing as allies who are slumlords. We even had somebody who posed as an ally and ran and became mayor, not just one, but two. All right. So it's a problem. It's a big time fucking problem. And it's happening right here in Connecticut. Manny, just on the basis of the everyday person, what can white people do to address? Right. Um, I said this once and I'll say it a million times. Um, educate yourself. Um, and I don't mean educate yourself as in reading. I don't mean educate yourself as in watching videos about racism and history and all that other stuff. 
you know, I don't mean go on Twitter and go, you know, see the uh, many, many fights and, and racist incidents that happening across the nation while sitting in your room. No. Um, when I say educate yourself, I mean go, one, go to the events, go to the demonstrations, take part of them. Witness firsthand. You be the primary source of this educational uh, experience, right? Don't see it through a, a video or hear about it, you know, from someone else. No. You physically, right? Go to that demonstration. Go to that movement. Go, you know, to that um, uh, event, right? Witness firsthand what we are talking about. And don't just go there as a spectator. Maybe your first one, you know, maybe if you don't really believe what we're saying and you don't believe that, you know, uh, the black and brown community gets treated the way we're talking about, right? So maybe you don't believe that. Maybe you go and you'll be a spectator and see it for, your, for the first time with your own eyes, right? But the second time and every time after that, be part of the demonstration, right? Like CJ said, you know, me and Harry believed in, uh, you know, lived in experiences, right? There's no greater uh, educator than experience. That's what I believe. There's nothing that can teach you more about something than if you actually experience it, right? Um, and so when you are on that front line and you're face to face with that aggressor, the same way me and, um, yeah, not the only key, uh, of black entrepreneurship. Oh, that's a good one. Corporate America. That's a whole, and CJ, mark that one down. That's a whole different podcast episode right there. Corporate America. Uh, um, but, uh, you know, right. So, you know, be on that front line, right? Be face to face with that aggressor. Um, put yourself as much as you can, obviously, because, you know, like me and you said, we can't just change the color of our skin. Neither can you. So, you know, you won't know exactly what it's like to feel the oppression from white people. But put yourself in the shoes as much as you can. Be on the front line. Be face to face with the aggressor. And you'll see. Right, you'll see what we deal with. You'll experience it. You'll have the aggression uh, come against you. You know, um, so that's what I mean by educate yourself. Right, is get involved, uh, get uh, moving on. You know, uh, what you can do, right, to contribute to the movement. Right, and that's showing up. That's standing side by side with people like me and CJ, right, um, and, and not backing down and being scared, uh, but also using the one thing that you have that we don't have, privilege. We don't have that, right? It's just it's just a fact of life. Me and CJ and so many other people who look like us, we don't have privilege, but you do, right, and. If you can use that privilege to help people like me and CJ in our demonstrations and in our fights for justice, 
that's what you should do, right? If you are a true believer in the movement and you are like, yes, CJ, yes, Manny, I want to help you guys. I want to see justice for people. I want to move along, you know, and, and push the world in the right direction. Well, okay, that's all fine and dandy. Thank you. We appreciate it. But when the time comes and me and CJ are on the front line and we're, you know, about to go face to face with people like the Proud Boys and the white supremacists and uh, the blatant racists, well, when I look to my right, I should see you right there. In fact, I should probably even see you in front of me if we're being honest. You know, you should be the front line. I should be in the second line. Because that's you using your privilege. You know, they have to get past you in order to get to me. So, yeah, educate yourself. Experience the fight. Once you experience it, you'll get a greater understanding of why we're so passionate about it, what we face when we're in it. Um, and then moving forward, you'll know what you have to do to really contribute uh, to the movement and to this fight for justice. I love what you just said, and this is why I said last night, and I'll echo it again. Do you see why we need to protect our black and brown youth? Do you hear what you just said? Let me tell you something. I'm not going to be here forever. I don't know about you, but that's not that's not how it goes. And this is why we have to prep them. We And we not only have to prep them, we have to protect them and empower them and support them, our young people. We have to get to know them and we have to accept that we are not like them and we have to be willing to have those uncomfortable confrontations with self. That's all part of it. That is all part of it. Now, with what you just said there, Manny, that's a lot you unloaded. There's a lot that needs to happen. The representation is super, super, super fucking important. And I love what you said about, you know, the white people really just facing the facts and giving up the space. Turning to you, Amy, right here in Connecticut, what could happen? Uh, what can we do? Action. We need action. Um, we need people to educate themselves. I, I'm, I'm just going to reiterate everything he said. Um, but yeah, uh, I personally, as a white person, found books and um people who like you know put out that information um and talk about racism and their own experiences and stuff i thought that i found that stuff to be very helpful that helped me to um see outside of a white center see outside of a white centered space um and that helped me really get started um but yes action action in your town and that's all i got no that's straight facts you got to take action in your town and i'm just being sarcastic we're gonna amy talking as a white woman let me tell you something amy doing this is not without a cause please know that when activists come out and they speak and talk and be in their truth this is not without a cause you have to know that right? There's always a course, and we're going to talk about that. We're building into that. This is part of the uncomfortable conversation that we have to have. Have it with your friends, have it with the people who are not your friends, but think about it, right? After all that's happened, after COVID, after everything, why are we still like 
pre-COVID. That's ridiculous. Why? And, you know, again, for our friends in Alabama, right, they represent how we all feel. It doesn't matter if you feel you're done with the white people. I don't give a fuck. You could be Republican, but what you cannot deny is that when you saw that, you felt intrigued. I'm telling you, it's all in us. It's all of us because we're tired and we can't keep ignoring it. But we also need our white people to get up and stand up and we need our white allies to be fearless. All right, before we close out, Manny, any closing thoughts? I always reiterate the same thing, CJ. Uh, I'll keep doing it until I physically can't speak anymore. Um, to all of our allies, those black, brown, white, and every color in between. <laughs> um, the fight for justice is one that is hard. It is one that requires sacrifice. It is one that is a 24-7 uh, effort. Um, there is no time and place for it. Um, there is no limits to how far it goes. Um, it is a fight that will span beyond my lifetime, unfortunately. I say that personally. Uh, unfortunately, because I wish, I wish by the end of my lifetime that it, it, it was something that I could say was in the past, right? But such is the way of the world that it is something that won't be gone anytime soon. But while we are here on this planet, I think it is just a mission that each of us should have to want to do what we can to play our part on this journey of life, uh, to leave this world better for the future generations. That's what I've always stood on. That's what I will always stand on, um, is that I do the work that I do now and do the work that I will continue to do as long as I'm here on this earth so that the generations that come after me can live in just a little bit better, uh, place you know uh, as much as i can make it so let that be the mission of all of you i would hope you know is to join me in that fight join me on that journey that we all do our part and they will all work together in creating a better world for those who are not and i just want to thank you all for those of you who are educating yourselves for those of you like amy who you know are stepping outside of your comfort zone you know, to educate yourself, to get involved and to speak the uncomfortable truths, right? I, I definitely want to thank you all for doing that. Um, and I just want to continue asking for your solidarity, for your support. And um, I just hope to see you on the front line with me and CJ. That's it. Always amazing. Let me tell you something. I can't say it enough. This is why we need to protect, empower, and support right? These young people, they are the future. We got to pass the baton, right? We got to make sure that Manny sees what he just said. I hope you all think about that. Listen to what the young people are saying. They're saying a lot. We got to hear them, man. They're not invisible. I, I, for one, I mean, I can't tell you enough. 
I think my own my own child probably thinks I'm too much in her face, but it's because I want to make sure she knows that I could hear you. Sometimes I even probably oversay, and I I think this is something Amy and I talk about before, you know. But as parents, you know, we're concerned. This is this was rough, and so I hope you all heard what this young man just said, and I hope we could make this a reality. Before we tune out, Amy. I hate going after Manny. <laughs> uh, no, I really appreciate you having me here. Um, and if anyone wants to join Middletown Anti-Racism and see what we're doing in our town, um, feel free to swing by. It is definitely, um, it's definitely something that, uh, that I'm really hoping catches on and I'm hoping more white people really open their eyes to this and realize that the next step in breaking down everything that has been built up since enslavement um, really is us stepping up. Um, we have to have those discussions. We have to acknowledge our role and we have to work to dismantle white supremacy. Um, so yeah, I guess that's it. But thanks for having me here. It's always a pleasure to have you. Always a pleasure, you know. You know, I think people get confused because I call out the white supremacy. Make no mistake, I've led calls to action, and I'm actually usually the person who, um, you know, liaises with the, you know, legal observers and anyone else who wants anyone else who wants to be part of that. You know, making sure that the whole scene is protected, marshals, whatever you want to call it, right? Um, I hope that you all really understand what we said here. Don't take it personal. Take it as enrichment, right? There's always room for change and improvement. We could do it. We just have to want to do it and commit to doing it and actually follow through and doing it. I want to thank Manny and Amy for taking the time to be here. This is a conversation that is going to continue. The date and time might be subject to change, but it's going to continue. Because as you heard, we have a lot of different subsets now. We got to talk about medicine. Can't escape that. Don't even want to get me started on the education piece. And we're going to keep asking the question, what should white people do? I can't thank you enough for your continued support, encouragement, and solidarity. It is always greatly appreciated. Wherever you are, whoever you're with, just remember you are amazing and you could be the change we want to see. You could do it. Nobody's perfect. That's not what this is about. This is about progressing positively forward and having those uncomfortable confrontations not just the conversations, starting with yourself, because it starts with you. All right, that's all we have.